0: Hey there, welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. My name is Sonil Behel, an international career strategist and founder of Supercharge. I strongly believe that a fulfilling career is a birthright and not a privilege for the lucky few who have access to prestigious education, capital, and networks. I am now on a mission to democratize. Access to high value career advice with my digital courses, with my YouTube channel, and yes, with this podcast. So, listen, you deserve to have a career you actually love, even if you just got laid off, even if you took years of work to take care of a family member, even if you are underpaid and overworked. If you're looking, For practical strategies and tactics to build a career and life that you are proud of, you are in the right place. Welcome. And once you're done listening, I want you to walk away with this singular thought. If they could do it, I can do it too. Now grab your favorite warm beverage and let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to introduce my guest. Today, I'm going to steal some rather uncomfortable facts from her new book. So the thing is, for hundreds of years, Asians, especially Indians, have believed, not thought, believed, that if you are fair, and when I say fair, I don't mean just, I don't mean doing the right thing. I mean light-skinned, okay? (laughs) It means that if you are fair and light-skinned, it means that you are superior. That's right white supremacy doesn't just exist among white people. Sadly, this is still the case, very much so, in modern liberated India. And globally, the sales of light skin lightening products are expected to cross $8.9 billion by 2024, according to the World Economic Forum. So ever since the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. Following the brutal murder of George Floyd, my guest found herself sharing innumerable stories with her husband and kids about her painful past. If you've ever wondered what persistent bullying will do to a six-year-old in the long term, well, wonder no more. Ask a 45-year-old today Ask Shweta Agarwal. Shweta is an anti-colorism activist with a colorful life, a computer science engineer by trade. her passion is dance and writing. So Shweta grew up in India and Japan and has lived in the UK for almost 25 years. We are... Are going to unpack so many things with Shweta including how skin tone bias affects racial equality at work and hello we're going to talk about career pivots as well because that's a lot what Shweta is about. Hey Shweta, very warm welcome to the show. Hi Sonal, thank you
1: so much. Uh, thank you for that amazing introduction. Um, I'm, I'm very honored to be on your show and yeah I can't wait to discuss um, I guess my people online. life. <laughs>
0: Let's get into it, Shweta. So I want to talk to you right at the beginning. Let's talk about that six-year-old Shweta that I talked about in the intro. Let's talk about where is she, what is happening around her and how did this eventually shape who she is today?
1: Gosh, um, where do I begin? Um, It's quite painful actually for me to still talk about it, I have to say. That childhood trauma is something that I'm still... um, dealing with still Mm -hmm. coming to terms with every now and then i just you know end up having a kind of a breakdown um the six-year-old where is she right now she is alone very very lonely in her boarding school doesn't know why she's there well she does i mean she knows that it's because of education her parents have just moved to japan Um, to start a new life, to start a new business. Uh, She has a one-year-old brother, and her brother is with her parents because he's only a year old. Um, Her parents have told her that they can't take her to Japan because they can't afford her education because there are only two private schools in the city that they're moving to. and At that time, in the 1980s, Japan was the most expensive country in the world. Um, state schools uh, i.e government schools only take Japanese children by race not even mixed race Mm. so they had no choice but to enroll their little girl in a boarding school um, so that they don't disrupt her education Um, as a six-year-old that little six-year-old child doesn't understand that that little six-year-old child um, is feeling abandoned it's not You know, her parents' fault. Uh, She wouldn't have the life that she has now. I'm sitting here in front of you in a lovely house in London um, with a very, very, you know, colourful life that I've had. Um, But that six-year-old has a lot of healing to do. And that six-year-old was also then told by members of her extended family that her parents left her behind because they're ashamed of her (gasps) colour.
0: What kind of evil relative would utter these words out of their mouth and that somehow reaches your ears? Mm -hmm.
1: A so-called wise old man, but clearly not so wise. He was in his 60s. He was my grandfather's, my nana's best friend. Mm. I call him the wicked man in my book. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't just the one time. It was relentless um, because my parents are very, very, very fair. Uh, mm-hmm. My father didn't even look Indian. Um, mm-hmm. He looked kind of Persian, Middle Eastern, Italian, almost. Um, mm-hmm. My mother's very fair. My brother's very fair. And I was 10 shades darker than I am right now. So as you can imagine, the difference mm-hmm. was so large, so huge, mm-hmm. that I always found myself justifying to people Um that yes, these are my parents. I belong to them. Um, and that started from the age of six.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how long um, were you in the boarding school before you could join your parents in Japan? For two and a half years. hmm Almost, okay. yeah.
1: Okay. And no face sign. <laughs> no weekly no, no calls, you know, yeah. once no, uh, a trip, once a year only. Yeah
0: yeah yeah and and letters if that and Uh i'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for your parents they had a a choice to make and they did it and it must have you know put a stone on their heart how did all of this right and and you know you also mentioned a lot of persistent bullying in in your book how did this shape i know there's a long answer and there's a whole book behind this. how did all of this shape into the woman you are today
1: um i think it from a very, very young age, even from the age of six, um, it taught me to become extremely, extremely tough. And that kind of defense mechanism kicked in um, that if I, you know, if I don't keep swimming, as they say, I will mm. sink. Mm. And from that point on, very early on, I was essentially, you know, thought that there are only two options in life. You sink or you swim. and Sinking is not an option. So I find um, myself, I have to say, um, very uh, strong and determined when it comes to um, wanting to go after things. Um, I find myself also at the same time very empathetic towards people who have been bullied or have gone through similar experiences. Um, You know, there's, there's been a couple of instances where my children have come home and there's been issues at school with complaints about either them being bullied or them being, uh, being the bully. And always, always, always I've taught my kids, we don't like, we're never ever allowed to use the words stupid, ugly, dumb in this household.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and when the one time that I received a complaint from somebody else, immediately I came down on them as yeah. a ton of bricks that you can never, ever, ever be the bully. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. because you know, this is what your mummy has been through and that's not a nice thing to do. And, um, kindness always, always, always rules. Um, so yeah, I find myself extremely tough. Um, mm-hmm. My kids always say this to me, like you know, mummy, you're the one who's like the tough love mummy, <laughs> whereas daddy is like the very kind of very very uh, mushy
0: <laughs> love or kind of, No, yeah. but I'm I'm really happy to hear this because, I mean, yes, all's well that ends well. But you're mm-hmm. saying um, this experience helped you to draw very clear lines in terms of what you will tolerate and what mm-hmm. you will not, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, who who you are today, so. Because you know very well, you empathize very well what it's like to be at the receiving end. And it was not pretty, especially I can't even imagine as a six-year-old. So I really appreciate you sharing this because I know this, um, even like going back and recollecting some of these memories can be very triggering. Mm. So appreciate you sharing this, Shweta. And I'm sure there's so much more to this that, you know, we're not, we're barely scratching the surface here. Mm. So let's talk about then, you know, your journey to the United Kingdom. So Uh you go and study, you decide to do your bachelor's and you do your master's, and then you get hired Uh at UBS in London in their IT Uh department. So now we're getting into the world of work. Talk Uh to us about this experience as an outsider, as an immigrant. How Uh easy or difficult was it getting hired? Do you remember? I know it was a long time ago, but were there a few things that you thought helped you to stand out from the rest? Uh
1: Um, I guess, um, I would say that one of the things that did perhaps help me to stand out was that I had that multicultural background already. Um, you know, obviously if you're South Asian and you're living in the UK, you've, you kind of have those, you know, um, two cultures to, uh, take advantage of, but I had a third culture, a third element. So the Japanese culture and, um. and the language as well, um, a little bit. I mean, now it seems like I've completely forgotten it, but <laughs> at least it feels like that. Um,
0: and, and you were in Japan for how many years when you were growing almost up? almost ten years. Yeah, got it. Yeah,
1: got it. Um, so I, I guess that international kind of upbringing, that international mm-hmm. um, mindset, and you know, having been exposed to three different cultures, I think that perhaps helped.
0: And can I just pause you for a second? I'm always fascinated with these things because your parents Mm -hmm. must have been, you know, your age, younger than you. What was what took them to Japan back then?
1: Um, That's a really good question because my father was a mechanical engineer, so he used to work in a factory, um, barely able to, you know, make ends meet, and was was struggling in his job as such. Um, This is something I've also mentioned in my book. When my mother was pregnant with me, she said there were there was like a couple of weeks in the month and a couple of months. Where they ran out of, out of their salary and she and my father survived on just one mango a day for the rest of the month and this is when she was pregnant with me Wow. yeah so uh you know from that to then making this kind of unfathomable courageous move to japan to an industry that is completely alien to him textiles and selling uh japanese sa- japanese saris i mean obviously japanese saris are not a japanese attire but like Uh, Made in Japan saris, rather, um, because the material, the quality was so, um, so good that they were sold in uh, countries like the UK and the US. um, And they were big markets. So my father basically moved to Japan to start that business. uh, And
0: to start over over his life, actually, which is very hard. Completely, yeah. Yeah.
1: And to learn a new language, uh, which he had a real knack for. Um,
0: Yeah, but also leaving one kid behind, all of that. Yes.
1: Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Um, And a country like Japan. I mean, it's, you know, obviously at that time in the 1980s, you'd heard a lot, lot of people moving to the U.S. and the U.K. Um, But Japan was like a
0: completely, completely new world. Far East, but also very homogenous, right? It's not like you see diversity of faces.
1: (laughs) Very, very. Yeah, it's a xenophobic. It was xenophobic back then. Uh Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. so so you were talking about what helped you to stand out when you were interviewing mm. so yeah I think I have a feeling that that must have been it um yeah. yeah but also I think when
1: I was actually in the interview I remember I had the worst splitting migraine <gasps>
0: um
1: and I will never forget this for UBS in particular I had to do um I had to do a, um, a test, an exam essentially, 30 questions and I had 16 minutes to answer them. And I had 16 choices, multiple test, multiple choice rather. So I have 16 choices and I have 30 seconds to pick a choice. And I, in the end, after I think about a couple I, I of I just want to
0: say, I'm gonna pause you for a sec. Even for someone who's high functioning and without a headache, even for that person, this looks like a high pressure, high stress situation. And then you bring in a splitting migraine, like you're saying, and yeah. going through this.
1: Yes. And I thank you. Yeah. And I had like all I could see was like, you know, these 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 spots on the on my on the paper. And I just did any meeny miny mo, literally. Really. End. Yeah, the interview went really well. I Mm -hmm. I was very confident when I came out of the interview.
0: And you were also Um, interviewing with the migraine?
1: I was also interviewing with the migraine. It was building up and I then sat in the lobby. Then they called me in for the the test. I somehow managed to make it home. I actually felt sick because that's what migraines do to you, right? So I was actually sick. um, And I thought I completely ruined it. I killed it. But then the next day, they invited me for uh, a team interview. So basically to see how you do in a team environment Um, and then also do a presentation and then, you know, join the kind of networking and they're watching you the entire time. Of course. Uh, Yeah. And um, and I think I did really well in that because literally within two days after that, I got a call first thing in the morning and they did say to me that you did you didn't do very well on your test. And I said, Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'd be surprised if I did. She said, Yeah. But they was... didn't
0: they didn't care about that clearly. They didn't care about that.
1: Yeah. They they said, but we would like to offer you the job.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. You must have been happy, surprised, relieved. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so really relieved. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. That's such a fantastic story. And so you stayed there for a while and now let's talk about career pivots right i mean mm-hmm. we're talking software dance children's books event planning book writing. <laughs> and you know quick i'm uh, just painting the picture here for our listener who may not be familiar with you yet your dance company triple b first of all love the name triple b <laughs> bold beautiful and very bollywood
1: thank you <laughs> it was featured
0: it was featured in britain's got talent and You also auditioned for the British Olympics with the troupe, right? Mm -hmm. So what prompted you, you know, Shweta, um, all this movement, literally movement and change, like Mm -hmm. you one of those people that isn't uh, fulfilled or happy with one thing, like what was happening in your Mm. uh, early 20s and 30s?
1: Mm. So I think it was everything that's happened in my life, I have to say, has been a very, um, it's been very natural. Um, So... For example, dance has always been a part of my life. Uh, I've actually written about this in the book as well from the age of six. You know, ever since I can remember, I used to love dancing on coffee tables and I used to come alive literally dancing.
0: And I I have have to say I enjoy your uh, IG Reels as well. One of your earliest IG Reels was you just like chilling out and dancing in your garden. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Really good. Really good. Oh, uh, thank you. I need to pick up on that again. I don't know yeah. why I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs>
0: Please do. Please do. We, we're we getting more sunshine now. So we're getting more Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So yeah, dance has always been a part of my life. Um, I actually wanted to be a Bollywood actress, but then that was another thing that I was told by uh, an aunt that, you know, there's no chance for you. Like, there are only fair actresses. Have you seen yourself? You're Dukali. Uh, I eat dark and black and all of that. So, you know, that shattered my dream very early on. But dance was something that literally is my soul food. So I used to perform regularly, even in Japan for the annual kind Ball or any opportunity I got. Um, And then when I moved to London, when I started working, um, it just so happened to be that also my husband obviously had a very, very, very um, demanding job. He was in investment banking back then. The earliest he would come home is like 10 o'clock at night. Um, I didn't have that many friends yet. Um, I would come home by six, sit there making dinner, twiddling my thumbs <laughs> all, all alone. Um, so then I started to look up like, well, how can I fill my time with a hobby, i.e. dance? So I then came across uh, Dance Works and Pineapple Studios in London and I thought, wow, Bollywood dance classes here. I didn't even think I would find Bollywood. And I did. I attended them. And as soon as I attended them, I then thought, oh, uh, you know, not mean to brag here, but um, I'm really good at this and I could be teaching. I could be standing there um, because I, you know, obviously was like in a room full of other uh, people and they were doing it more for, more for just kind of fun. Whereas I get really,
0: you are a different about. standard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get really serious about my dance yeah. and, um, and I, I did feel very confident. I was like, I'm good at this. I can do this. And so that's how I started teaching dance in the evenings and i started from one so you put up your
0: hand and said instead of a student i'd like to be a teacher is that what you said uh yeah (laughs) i love it i love it and they were like the proof of the pudding like we we see you dance we get it shweta yes you can teach right so it became a it became a job as well you know know what i mean you're not just you're not paying instead they're paying you
1: yeah so i i just literally put my hand up and said look I know I can do this and uh you've seen me. And by the way, if you're looking to expand your team in terms of like performances and corporate events, then yes, I'd like to do that too. Um and uh I think I scared her actually, to be honest, a little bit because I scared her with my enthusiasm. You know, fair enough. She had her own going and you know, sure. sure. Fair but enough. If you had me. to go
0: back and revisit that Shweta, would is there anything you would do differently about that moment?
1: Um no, to be honest, Good.
0: Good.
1: no. Good, I was because, hoping you'd say
0: that because I want to s- yeah. just interrupt you because sometimes we are like, you know, you're too much. You come on too strong, pipe down. We're like, but that's part of who I am. Yes. Yeah. And it attracts a certain type and it repels a certain type and I can live with that.
1: That's it, yeah. I Yeah, I don't regret it because I think if I hadn't, if I hadn't shown that enthusiasm or and realized that this is what I want to do, then I wouldn't have taken that step to do it myself because if she didn't turn me down, I wouldn't have, God knows my own company, you know, I might just still be a part of hers. Um,
0: So so they turned you down when you made the request and said, I'd love to be. When I wanted to
1: start teaching. Well, she did give me a couple of opportunities to be fair. She did. But I think I wanted, like, I was so enthusiastic about it. I was like, you know, let's, let's talk about this let's like go back to the drawing board and let's you know I can do this and I can do that and I can also like invest you know let's do this together as a business and I think maybe that's what scared her a little bit sure. which sure. is absolutely fine I respect yeah. that but I don't think I would yeah to you know if having um if I look back at it I wouldn't change that because mm. if she didn't hand me down I wouldn't be running my own dance
0: company 100 and how did you fa- tell us about the founding of the experience hiring teachers looking for students we're talking business owner shweta here that's a yeah. totally different concept.
1: <laughs> so you know i've been very very um blessed i have to say um lucky but also i guess it's the you know as you said the kind of people you attract um i remember very very vividly i was actually sitting in japan During a summer vacation, taking a break from I was still working at UBS, but dance obviously was not a conflict in terms of uh, conflict of interest with, you know, with my IT career as well as dance. Were you
0: visiting your parents in Japan?
1: Yes, exactly. So I was there uh, and I got a call from uh, a producer who had this show called um, Footballers Wives on ITV. It was a very popular show back then. And uh, he said he'd like to have some backing dancers for one of the sequences uh, for the lead character. And, you know, the lead character is performing a Bollywood dance. I didn't even have a single dancer then. I only used to run one dance class a week. That's all I had started. Alone.
0: And you were the teacher and the admin and everything. Everything. Everything.
1: Yeah. Um, And I created a website and he's like, by the way, I love your creativity. I love the website. It's got a very Moolah Rouge theme to it. And I think that's what, you know, brought him to the website. And that's what he liked. Then I spoke to him and he said, so can you do six dances?" And I was like, yes, absolutely. I can. Of course I can. I didn't have a single dancer and I was sitting all the way in Japan.
0: But you say yes, when opportunity strikes and they put you on a seat on a rocket ship. This is what I say to the listener every time. Do not ask where am I going to sit and how fast is it going to go? You get on and you figure it that's out. It. And then you figure it out. Yeah. So a day
1: later, I was, you know, my literally like my dad was helping me like find the cheapest and the fastest flight back home to London. Change your um, flight, go back. Yes. Go back. Yeah. Um, so then I auditioned for dancers. I didn't even have a team. So I auditioned for dancers and that's how I put my team together. So that was my first First break straight with a TV production. Uh, also, company. gotta
0: say strong SEO game here. You know, Shweta, he found your website. Like you did something right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Then. Oh my gosh, I love it. And you had all these performances and all this exposure. And and um, and then you know, there's lots of pivots going on here. There's a children's book as well. Before you started mm-hmm. uh, writing this, uh, the the book, the Black Rose. Right. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah. So I ran my
1: dance company for about about 10 years, I would say. Um, And during that period, I grew from not having any dancers in the team and only running it as a dance company with dance classes um, to going fully, fully professional and corporate only and well, corporate and um, weddings and productions, et cetera, but having a dance troupe of up to 20 dancers um we performed for the Turkish Film Awards one year we performed um for uh Britain's Got Talent and we were the first Bollywood dance company to have been uh a semi-finalist in Britain's Got Talent um we then is there got a, also- is there a
0: YouTube is there a link to a YouTube video with that there is yes I'm gonna link it in the show notes for- thank you
1: <laughs> yeah uh yeah very proud of that performance very very proud we worked really hard for it and then uh Uh, 2012 we got uh, asked to audition for the London Olympics Mm -hmm. they asked us um, Mm -hmm. they'd seen us perform at different festivals Um, it was the most challenging challenging task ever because we were given four days and five days and we I had to put together 30 dancers minimum they said and
0: I had to do two
1: three-minute choreographies
0: Uh, sequences with 30
1: dancers yeah And this is when everybody else works. I mean, that obviously for me, it was my business, but all my dancers always, always, always. Had a day
0: job. Mm
1: -hmm. Had a day job. Um, So they could only dedicate two, three hours in the evening, uh, if that, or on the weekends. And this needed
0: needed much more effort.
1: Yeah. Um, We were one of the three companies they asked. That's what they told us. And um, I have to say, when we walked into the the, uh, venue, Talk about the nerves.
0: Talk about the nerves, Shweta. You're being very like, this is very matter of fact. But back then, this is so exciting. Like the world is your stage.
1: Yeah, it was. Because uh, what gave me goosebumps was when I walked in to the venue, um, the name rang a bell. um, But when I walked in immediately, it gave me goosebumps because it was exactly the same venue that we filmed in for the very first TV gig that I that I got you know uh hired for
0: full circle moment
1: full circle moment absolutely full circle moment and it was a massive massive like warehouse um i had this kind of bit of like overconfidence almost thinking like oh this is like you know this is a sign we're going to get this um the performance was the best performance ever i was so proud of seeing my team and they were super tight i've literally never ever uh, delivered you know, a performance like that with such uh, so many dancers and so tight and highly synchronized. But in the end, uh, the Olympic team, they said, we absolutely love you guys. But we've just decided the committee has just decided to go for traditional Bhangra dances instead.
0: Uh, So uh, you didn't lose to a competitor. It was a completely different niche now. That's change it. of mind change of mind, change mind. yeah uh, must have broken your heart nevertheless because this is the kind it of did. guesses and knows that life that change your life yeah. yeah
1: yeah but you know an experience that again will always stay with me and yeah. my dancers um, and it's an, honor. It such an we, honor
0: yeah absolutely oh my gosh such an honor to be invited well done is there a way i could see that video as well they somewhere didn't lingering in it. The internet i wish. world.
1: <laughs> i i know i wish um, and it was such a big warehouse that if I stood like 30, 40 feet away, I could film the whole thing. But they said, sorry, you're not allowed to record you're this. Not allowed to.
0: No, but yeah. you know, I'm I'm the, the best part about the story is you got no regrets. You're so proud of the performance, no. and that's what matters in the end. Yes. Right? That you're not like half-assing it, you did the best you could. Mm-hmm. And that is that is really important, especially when we talked with our children, right, about exams and so much. be you and I were chatting backstage about children exams this this is the season we're in right now but they gotta give their best and not that like day. oh yeah let's do it one hour here one hour there you you had constraints dancers have day jobs 30 people in five days it's not a joke no. but to yeah. to be proud of yourself at the end honestly that's amazing and yeah. and shweta let's talk about your book it's called the black rose mm-hmm. what was it that called you to write it because we talked about the um, the greater you know racial awakening of 2020 mm-hmm. not just in the US but it i think it reverberated around the world yes what called you to write it what was the writing process like for you and how has the reception been so far
1: hmm. um so my awakening um like many people has been the black lives matter movement um South Asians, I think in particular, uh, there was a lot of talk around it uh, with regards to anti Blackness. And, you know, obviously South Asians condemning the act and George Floyd's murder. But then a lot of other people calling out the hypocrisy, saying, well, what are you talking about? You know, we are South Asians and we harbor so much anti Blackness within the community. Um, And that really got me thinking as well. And it's what hit me um, because I happen to be one of those hypocrites. Who attended a protest very passionately wanting to stand uh, you know, up against racism and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I remember standing in this park. It was a local uh, protest, one of the last ones in the country. And I'd asked my kids to like um, make banners and posters, you know, um, to show our support. And I remember standing there in the park talking to a black man. And at that moment, the penny dropped for me because I i had a cap on and I was trying to, you know, fix my cap because I didn't want to catch the sun. And I thought, I don't have the right to be here. I mm. am giving into colorism. All my life I've been trying to achieve, you know, uh, to go lighter um, for obvious reasons, because I was bullied and I had succumbed, essentially like almost forced to succumb to colorism because of the fair is beautiful narrative. But I made that choice and I'm standing here now fighting racism. When I've given into colorism, I don't have the right to be here. Mm. And that guilt. um, The shame, the shame, the shame, the the hypocrisy, the shame, the guilt was so strong, so strong. And it has been there. It's always been there. Um, But I think this time round, it really hit me in the face and it hit me hard um, because I couldn't look that man in the eye. As soon as that thought entered my mind, I couldn't look him in the eye. And then I just had to kind of, you know, um, rush out essentially and with an excuse and uh, couldn't sleep for days after that. And that's when I started to think about it and I started to unpack colorism in my head, thinking, why am I here? As in, not physically, but like in my thoughts, pro- thought process, how did I get to this point? um so I started to unpack colorism and um there are multiple factors right it probably was to do with the fact that it was during the pandemic mm-hmm. and because I worked in the events industry which again naturally um was, was shut uh, down mm-hmm. uh yeah it was uh, something that yeah, I mean we really, overnight it was kaput, right <laughs> um and I went on furlough so even if I wanted to work I couldn't work there was literally uh I felt like nothing to do because my husband was very busy. My kids were teenagers, so pretty self-sufficient with their own homeschooling and everything. So I had a lot of time and hence people who had a lot of time during the pandemic did a lot of soul searching. And so this, when this hit me really hard, I did a lot of soul searching and that's when I kind of backtracked and realized this is why I'm here because those words from the wicked man, they still linger, you know, and I can still hear them. Um, And um, yeah, and then one thing after another, I started to like, go on to um, webinars, I uh, joined Masterclass. um, And they had amazing authors on it, amazing authors. So they had webinars um, by Margaret Atwood by Saman Rushdie, um, and a few others. Um, I think even James Patterson. I mean, I know he's not a memoirist, but you learn something from every author, right? Yeah. Um, so I taught myself how to write through these webinars and then I started putting it together uh, because initially it was just a diary entry. Yeah. It was like a journal. And then yeah. my husband said, this is really, really strong. This is really powerful. You should write more. And um, my kids encouraged me. He encouraged me. And then, yeah, I mean, like about 50 edits later, three professional editors later uh i launched the black rose after two and a half years i could have done it earlier i
0: have to say but i think this was this was self-published Shweta. it was yeah Mm. that's um, a lot of lot of time a lot of effort a lot of blood sweat and tears Mm -hmm. literally (laughs) Mm. you could have done it earlier you said but this was the path it had to be evolved on right yeah
1: i could have done it earlier um but i think you know there's a time for everything right Mm -hmm. um and also i um I could have, I could have launched it earlier too, and not taken two and a half years. But I think because it was so personal and so and so painful, that I had to give myself time mm. to take breaks. Mm. Um, because every time I went back to read some chapters that were very very painful to you know even recollect for the first time, um, it would come alive in my head again and again, and they were triggering. So um, I just. I was kind to myself for that reason.
0: Yeah, no. Because and also I needed to I, for my own mental health. A hundred percent. I think also it's like poking the bear when you have PTSD because you were attacked yesterday and you you continue to poke. And, and it was part of the part of the process, part of the healing journey. And mm. you did that. And the reception, according to what I see, has been nothing short of amazing. Right.
1: Thank you. You're so kind. Thank you. Yeah, I get messages from people literally halfway through the book saying, I can't put your book down. I got another message from an Instagram follower saying, I don't want your book to finish. Um, I got another message from somebody saying, I felt like I was watching a Netflix series. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there are women who are messaging me saying, thank you for writing this. Thank you for speaking up against colorism. Um, Thank you for helping me heal. Uh, I could see myself in your story throughout. And that's, that's the best thing that anybody can ask for, you know, to make a difference and to be the healer. I mean, in such a way, it's honestly, I I did not expect such a phenomenal response.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, they're thanking you for so many things, but also thank you for speaking on our behalf and putting into words the thing we went through when we didn't have the vocabulary for it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and 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 you kind of articulated it and gave it form, gave it shape. Uh so let's talk about this, Shweta. Let's talk about colorism. Where you and I are Indians, we're brown. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like our, our our skin color is, is hugely dictated also by where we've been born, and the melanin helps to protect ourselves from the skin, the countries closer to the equator. So to mm-hmm. expect like a, light white type of skin tone Mm -hmm. on everyone right talk to us about according to you based on because you've done probably so much research in the last two and a half years when putting the book together tell us Mm -hmm. about where is this originating where is colorism coming from so there are
1: three um there i would say like there's three isms that you know bring us to colorism there's in India, which actually goes a long way back, a long, long way back. There's classism, which again, we see around the world, not just in India. And you know, the narrative of classism is, is very, very, very um, simple and obvious, uh, the lighter you are, the, the perception is that the richer you are, the wealthier you are, and the darker you are, you're probably a peasant working out in the fields, you know, labor class, yeah? So there's classism, casteism in India, as we know, it, the the four different castes and then of course the fifth the the untouchables the Dalit the lower caste and these are things that for people
0: who are not Indian or not South Asian we're talking about a concept and a phenomenon that goes back over a thousand years Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah Yeah. Um, you know with the caste hierarchy and how people are treated um, Mm -hmm. the the upper caste and the the top Brahmins and how they are treated like literally like godlike people figures and what
0: professions are open to them and what aren't exactly yeah um so did, did you want me to get into that a little bit no that's uh, that's, okay. uh, that's uh that's uh, that's good um castism classism and colorism Understood. the three c's and the three isms
1: the the three is a, well the third one is colonialism
0: uh-huh. oh
1: that those three together bring us to colorism oh. oh. right okay um and you know let's be very honest a significant part of the world has been colonized <laughs> um And therefore, white supremacy and white skin privilege does play a huge role in colorism. Huge. Um, So having said that, I think if you really, really, really go down to the root cause of colorism, I personally feel it's classism because classism is the one social construct that you will see everywhere around the world, even in countries that have never been colonized, like Japan, for example. Colorism is rampant in Japan and in China and in Korea. And the narrative is, as I was saying, if you're fairer, you are probably from a more uh, wealthier background. Um, so, classism is also the reason why you saw colorism in the English community, in English society. So, you know. Go back to the Victorian times. You would see women walking around in umbrellas,
0: right? Um, yeah. Parasols. Because yeah, keep the sun out. Yeah, keep the sun keep away. the sun out. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, at
1: the same time, it was when um, you know half the world had been colonized. Whether you were uh, in India or you were, you know, uh, black people in America, the lighter skinned ones were the ones who were. Um, given the quote-unquote privilege to work with white people in their households or in administrative roles, whilst the darker-skinned ones were treated really poorly, really poorly. Um, so again, that's, you know, something that is classism, right? Um, that is kind of like um, the underlying narrative and the underlying social construct that Rather, that I think even... Colonialism hmm. believed in quote unquote, or or colonialistic values, rather. Be, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that is the root cause to be to be honest. Um, and you see that a lot in India too. Um, I mean, for example, I was you know by this wicked man, I was uh, called a beggar's child. Um, oh
0: my god! And you're a kid.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Why? Because I'm dark skinned. So hmm. in comparison to my parents um so yeah that sort of mindset is disgusting it's shameful and what's most shameful is that in the 21st century in 2023 you still see that in india people you still, still see that, that
0: you still see that no i uh, thank you very much for this breakdown um and you know to help sort of uncover and and you know remove the layers into where it's coming from and and so much of the world would like to blame colonialism for most of its problems but there is a deeper layer here so thank you for unpacking yes. that yeah and, you know, Shweta, so speaking of modern times, right? We uh-huh. we know colorism is rampant. It is a lived experience for millions of people. Uh-huh. Now, this podcast is downloaded in over 100 countries. Now, if someone is experiencing colorism, whatever uh-huh. they do, right, either in job interviews uh-huh. or in dating, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or anywhere in between. <laughs> uh-huh. What would be some advice you'd like to give them?
1: Um, so unfortunately, it is something that people do experience, no question. Um, and you know what? I'm not going to lie, because they experience all these things, it impacts your their self esteem, like it did mine. Um, and because they experience all these things, is why they will probably end up succumbing to skin whitening products. Because you want that job, right? Or you want to date that person, or you want to be put um, at the you know at the at, at the front in terms of a stage performance. Um, as opposed to right in the end where nobody can see you just because you're darker. Um, There are so many challenges that one faces when it comes to colorism on a daily basis um, in our society that actually it can feel like you just have no choice but to succumb. Um, So one of the things that is, I think the most important thing to do is firstly, If you are feeling that way, um, I did too. I want to let you know that I'm here for you if you want to chat. And secondly, uh, not to give yourself a hard time because colorism is so deeply entrenched that it's not going to be easy to unlearn it. If you are using skin whitening products, it almost is like an addiction. So, you know, as I describe it in my book, it took a while to become clean. Mm. Um, (laughs) um, And thirdly, and most importantly, I want to say, start talking about it. Start having those uncomfortable conversations. Because the irony about colorism, especially in our community, is that it's so normalized, it's there in every comment, from the moment you wake up to, you know to, to the moment like a baby's born to, to the time you're trying to, you know, when you're getting married
0: and yet but nobody wants the fun. songs that are playing in the background right it's all about the fair skinned girl who's pretty yeah, and who's getting yeah
1: it. the songs that are being played on, you know in bollywood movies and bollywood movies themselves and the actresses that are there and um the massive billboards that you see everywhere when you you know drive past uh, anywhere like any crossroad uh featuring uh, a skin whitening product i mean over 50% of skin whitening uh, sorry over 50% of any skincare products in india have some sort of skin whitening agent in them for example um it is so in your face, and yet nobody wants to talk about it yeah. and that 's what the irony is um so I think it's high time that we start having these conversations um as uncomfortable as they may be. start calling it out, you yeah. know um yeah and yes you're going to face backlash, and yes you're going to be told to um you know like shut up <laughs> you're going to be uh, trivialized, your feelings are going to be trivialized, but What I'd also like to say is there is hope because as you can see now, representation in the Western world, my goodness, is changing. Yeah, maybe not in Bollywood, so forget Bollywood (laughs) for a while. Um, But we are starting to see change. We are starting to see dark skin representation. We're starting to see the American doll, like the first South Asian doll. Um, You're starting to see. Gorgeous, beautiful,
0: melanated
1: women in Netflix series like Bridgerton. Um, You know, um, there is definitely, definitely um, hope and there is a part of the world that does appreciate melanated beauties.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy that you said start calling it out even if you receive backlash because you know what you're talking about. You get a lot of backlash, Shweta. You get some hate Mm -hmm. once in a while. And I find that very odd because the person who's experiencing colorism shouldn't be the one who's sh- you know quiet and shameful it should be the person who is practicing colorism right mm-hmm. we live in a very warped world where uh, you call out something which you know is wrong and then people say just leave it it's part of it's part of our culture no it's not mm-hmm. right there's nothing about any culture that says one is superior to the other because of the color of the skin this is an entrenched exactly. deep rooted behavior which is um you know thousands of years old so obviously it will take time to unpack but we can do whatever we can, and and I also want to add here: if you if you're experiencing bias in a certain job interview, and you have a very strong feeling, it's because of the color of your skin. I would highly recommend that you run in the opposite direction. You want to go where you're celebrated, not where yes. you're tolerated. Not to like, she's great, but isn't she like, you know, he's a bit mm, dark. Wow, wow, 100%. that has no ability in terms of that has nothing to do with how able or unable I am to perform the right. tasks and to do the job so have a nice life ciao like we're not meant to be in each other's lives it's easy mm-hmm. to say it's hard to do when you need a job and all of that but you know the, the damage that we're talking about right can be lifelong the mental health damage right. When, when you're at the receiving end. Oh my gosh, Shweta, I can't believe you're reaching the end. I have a particular question I'd love to ask you because I ask every guest of mine. Yeah. When you look back on your entire career, 22, 23 years ago, you've been working and all across different industries. Is there one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move closer to your current success? Wow, (laughs)
1: there's so many, uh, because I've had so many different career paths. Um, I guess for UBS, it was that, you know, that specific interview. Um, For, by dance company 3B, it was that very first break. Yes. Um, For my children's book series, it was um, somebody seeing my interview uh, for World Book Day on television and then nominating me for an Asian Women of Achievement Award and then winning the award, even though I was an underdog and I had, you know, there were so many other um, amazing women in the arts and culture um, uh, category. Um, that gave my Dev Ollie book series um, a, a big kind of boost and credibility. Uh, and I'm always grateful for that. And for The Black Rose, um, I wouldn't say there's one specific moment. I have to say, I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody on social media that has helped me, including yourself. Uh, you know, people like you getting in touch, um, supporting me, and praising the work that I'm doing, and you know, encouraging me to keep going. Every single follower—I hate to use the word follower. I like to—I I prefer the word supporter. Every single supporter, every single
0: member of the community, every single believer, um,
1: every single shout out, every single share, every person who's reviewed the read the book and reviewed the book. I wouldn't be here today uh, talking about this, especially because it's so close to my heart and but yet painful and triggering. And I wouldn't have the courage to do it if it wasn't for that entire community on social media, as well as my friends and my family. Of course, that's, you know, my family's there for me, uh, no question, but they deserve to be uh, given a shout out as well. So I think it's been I can't pinpoint a specific uh, incident or a specific uh, thing that happened. I think for the Black Rose, it's been very, very kind of a a progressive like it's been a journey. Um, But yeah, I am thankful for all of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love this answer. It's it's a culmination of so many little things that came together when um, mm-hmm. when it mattered. Amazing. So, what would be the best way for people to learn more about you? I'm definitely going to link your uh, Amazon link in the uh, the to the book, The Black Rose, in the show notes. And uh, is there a particular website? I mean, I'll obviously link you. your IG, your Instagram.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So on Instagram as well as Facebook and TikTok, I am there with the handle The Black Rose Way. Mm-hmm. Um I also have my website finally <laughs> and it's shwetaagarwal.com. Okay.
0: Uh yeah, I was very lucky
1: to get that uh you
0: know, A-G-G-A-R-W A- 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 A-L and, w- and Shweta is S-H-W-E-T-A. Shwetaagarwal.com. perfect
1: yeah. And um the book is available on Amazon and I also want to just mention that I finally will be launching uh in India very soon. So At the moment, the Amazon feed is coming from the US and the book is not affordable for the Indian audience. Um, But I have uh, been talking to an indie publisher who is now helping me launch in India uh, with a much more affordable uh, price. So uh, in the next few weeks, the book is going to be live on Amazon Prime um, for my Indian audience
0: perfect by the time this episode goes live it will definitely be live to the Indian audience mm-hmm. and that is the audience that needs to hear this story the most so <laughs> yeah I think so <laughs> and, and people we, we, people, you may not you know we may not realize are, am I the wicked aunt am I the wicked man did I do something mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a moment of reckoning um, yeah. for anyone and everyone uh, who's going through their own journey of one of those isms we talked about right uh, which so, are rampant across the world
1: Absolutely. So one of the best, best, best uh, pieces of feedback that I received is from somebody who was um, 67 years old. And she said to me, she happened to be visiting London to see her son. And um, she uh, read my book because it, her son had bought it. And she said, I was about to give my seven year old granddaughter a shower and said, come here, you know, in Hindi, <sighs> like, let me clean you up. Let, yeah, make you fair. Exactly. Right. Um, and she said, I swallowed the words. I now understand the power of words after having read your book. So, uh, yeah, if a 67-year-old woman can change, we anything
0: have hope. is Anything is possible. And, and this is the kind of work that impacts the future generation. So, amazing. Amazing. Shweta, this has been such a pleasure. I will link... All the show, you know, all the links we talked about into the show notes. Uh, definitely get a copy of The Black Rose uh, and, and follow Shweta, follow her journey. She's a multifaceted person. I'm so happy we, we managed to do this and I wish you continued success uh, with the book, with uh, all the work you do and beyond. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Somal. I'm, I'm so grateful again for this opportunity and I had a lovely time chatting with you. And uh, yeah, thank you for like reminding me of all the amazing things that I've actually done in my life. It was wonderful. <laughs>
0: hey you chose to spend a portion of your day today by allowing me in your ears and brain that is something i do not take for granted thank you and listen if you'd like to get social tag me on linkedin or instagram what about today's episode really stayed with you i'd love to know you know these episodes are born out of a lot of hard work and a lot of love So, If you leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it really helps to reach even more people. And this means much more than you know. And share this with a friend who you think would enjoy this episode. You know, these little things we do sometimes can have a big impact. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Until next time, bye for now.